Hey everyone, Cole Hoopengarner here. We at Fire Pit Creative Group hope you're enjoying Season 3 of Aftermath and are ready for the final two episodes of the season. Episode 37, Into the Darkness, releases on Monday, December 12th, and Episode 38, Earthshine, the final episode of Season 3, releases on Wednesday, December 21st. What you're about to hear is not a new episode of Aftermath, it's part one of an interview with me and Warren Davis, the author of Aftermath. We're interviewed by Sam Ashu. Sam is an emergency physician and educator, and he serves as the host to EB Medicine's podcast, Amplify, which is an emergency medicine podcast for clinicians. He's also a personal friend and supporter of Fire Pit Creative Group and the creator of one of the characters in Aftermath, John Running Bear. This will be part one of an interview series with Sam, Warren, and me. We just wanted to give you all a peek behind the curtains at Fire Pit Creative Group as season three of Aftermath wraps up. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Aftermath. I am not Cole Hoopengarner. I am Sam Eshoo, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing two of the creative minds behind Aftermath, so we can get a little bit of perspective, maybe a little bit more information about what goes on behind the scenes and where the Aftermath podcast came from. So here with me today is not only Cole Hoopengarner, the voice of Aftermath, but Warren Davis, the mind behind Aftermath. Gentlemen, welcome to your podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Sam. My pleasure. Warren Davis, we haven't heard from you before on the podcast. Tell me about Fire Pit Creative Group and who you are and what you do for the podcast. Thanks. So, so I, as Sam said, I'm Warren, and I am the creative director of Fire Pit Creative Group. Fire Pit Creative Group is sort of a think tank of creative individuals, including myself, Cole, my brother, Rhett Davis, and Willem DeGreef. We're named Fire Pit Creative Group because we all got together around a fire pit one night and I pitched the idea that with all the creative ideas that we have, some of them stemming from role-playing games and board games and card games and artwork and music and everything else, we should kind of throw our collective assets together and create a group to come up with these creative ideas. In this case, our hallmark idea is the aftermath podcast which went through its stumbles and and everything on the road to 30s 34 plus episodes where we are now so i'm essentially the creative director that's just a fancy way of saying that i try to 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 keep the creative juices flowing and keep everyone sort of on track and coming up with new ideas and pitching new ideas and also, I script the Aftermath podcast, working closely with Cole, and I do all of the music and the artwork that you see on our web pages or social media, and that you hear in each of the episodes of the podcast itself. And then tell me, Fire Pit Creative Group, who else is in it other than yourself and Cole? So one of our close friends, Willem DeGreese is one of the co-creators of Aftermath and has worked closely on some of the story for Aftermath. 
and my brother, Rhett Davis, my older brother, who actually is the, you know, came up with the, a lot of the characters in Aftermath and a lot of the ideas that led us to where we are. Now, when Aftermath was a little baby seedling in your brain, what exactly made you decide on a post-apocalyptic theme for this story? Was it something that inspired you to write this or something you watched or something you were reading at the time? Where did this idea get born? Well, so we are we all have a background in playing role-playing games and card games and board games and things like that. And in this case, Willem, Cole, and I wanted to play together and have Rent come up with a story. And the way I... I remember it. Uh, he pitched us two ideas. One was a setting in the Revolutionary War, and the other was kind of pitched to us as I can't remember. I think it was like Avatar meets post-apocalyptic future or something like that. And then with like a few tweaks, we finally accepted the latter. But Cole might remember it differently. No, I think you nailed it. That's exactly how I remember it. I think av- Avatar was the was pretty big at the, the movie Avatar was pretty big at the time. And I was not a big fan of the movie like Willem and Cole were. And I think Rhett kind of thought, man, he could do something better. And we kind of gave him some ideas to add to the recipe, if you will. But, but I think most of it, most of the um, ideas really came from Rhett's synthesis of a lot of science fiction, good and bad, and, and uh, everything in between. We came up, Willem, Cole, and I came up with the three main male heroes. I came up with Dr. Bath. Cole came up with Leonard McGillicuddy. And Willem came up with Benjamin Castro. And, you know, of course, that's kind of the triumvirate that makes up uh, much of the adventuring plot of the story. But really, everything else Rent came up with, the setting, the, the future timeline, he presented to us like a, when we were playing the game, he presented to us sort of a, a lexicon that people use in the future and sort of the what was known would be known to the characters at the beginning of the story. So they would know a little bit about their, their you know, the human race's past. And then from there, we just played this story out over a period of two or three years with a handful of starts and stops. And arguably, that's not to say that there's three years worth of material for the podcast. I think there's, when we ended up making the podcast, there's plenty more than three years worth of material. We've had to do a lot of changing and manipulating and moving things around to fully realize, you know, what we thought makes a good podcast. Obviously, when producers or directors or, or, or artists adapt a book into a television show or a movie or, or a cartoon or whatever it is, they have to make a lot of uh, changes or sacrifices and decide what elements to keep in and what to leave out and what characters to explore. And, you know, a lot of that depends on the constraints of the medium. And a lot of it depends on the popularity of I think characters and elements they really want to bring out. So I would say Cole and I have, you know, done the lion's share of adapting the original ideas from the the role playing game that we played 
into something that's palatable for a broader audience. I give 100% credit to Rent for creating the the setting and to Rent and Willem for keeping the setting and the story going in a very real and lived in way. But Cole and I have had to reimagine and, and, and move a lot of things around so that, you know, as they say, we're giving the people what they want. Now, that's interesting because the story, as you just mentioned, comes from this campaign. So right now we are about to embark, I think, on the 34th episode of the podcast. So we're, we are still in the storyboard of the campaign. You guys haven't ventured off or written beyond what, what was in the original campaign yet. I'll let Cole take that one because as producer, he's responsible for a lot of the pacing. And, you know, he helps me sort of find that right balance between you know, what in our minds is kind of set in stone and where, you know, where if dice weren't involved, we should have gone. Yeah, I think we have to strike a balance between what actually happened in the role-playing game versus what could actually be understood and consumed by audiences. Anybody who's ever played a role-playing game knows that it could sometimes get off track or things happen around the table that really only make sense or entertain the people around the, the table and there's had to be a lot of filtering that Warren has done, which is he's done a tremendous job of it. But overall, the general story of having the Phoenix Project and having the citizens of the Phoenix Project live there and having the heroes explore the surface, we're not too far off what happened around the gaming table. We played this for, for many years and... I would think if we played it out exactly the way we, if we created Aftermath and continued the story in Aftermath based on the longevity of the actual campaign, Aftermath could go on for years and years. But as Warren said, going back to, to his point, we've had to adjust. So moral of the story, we are on track and haven't really veered too far off from what happened around the table. I think, you know, I, if I was to like point to similarities and differences from what we did as a shared experience around a, a, a role-playing game versus what has evolved throughout the podcast, is I think early on when Cole and I were trying to adapt the ideas from the podcast, I'm, I'm sorry, when Cole and I were trying to adapt the ideas from the role-playing game, we immediately found that we had this huge wealth of characters in the Phoenix Project, including Devenu, Chang, Ganaya, Mike Helms, Mindy, Colonel Marsh, other people. And I personally thought, well, you can't have all these characters without knowing more about them or knowing how they interact with the main characters. And so in the podcast, in the in the audio novel, those characters have become as important, if not sometimes more important, than the three lead characters. Another thing is, is that if you're creating this world and, and you're sitting around the table, you're only looking at what's in front of your face and the conflict of what's happening next. But in the context of the story, as Cole and I have developed it, we may have a spontaneous idea of something that's going to be exciting in one episode. And then we have to refer back to it 
or several moments of conflict or tension. And it's like pulling that ball of yarn. You start pulling the ball of yarn and eventually you're sort of unraveling a lot of things. And so we, we, we've unraveled different elements that were never present in the role-playing game, but I think it's given us a richer story. It's given us more interesting characters. I think Willem may disagree, but the general is a more fully fleshed out character. I, I know John Bath is certainly a more palatable character in the podcast than in the role-playing game. And, and then, of course, as you mentioned, you know, we're 30 plus episodes in. That would be about, I don't know, Colt may agree or disagree, four or five weeks of us having played the game. So you have to take into account that when we were playing this game, we might have de devoted anywhere from two to four hours to a session. So a lot of stuff happened in the game, but a lot of it was us arguing about what to do next or how to approach what was right in front of our face. In the context of the novel, a lot of stuff is happening all of the time, and there's lots of stuff in front of the characters' faces. There's things in their background. There's, there's a lot of moving parts going on. And the fun part about doing it as a podcast instead of a game is you can pull those, like I said, you can pull those threads. And just by pulling a thread, that might be a, you know, a 25 or 30-minute podcast episode. That's amazing. Now tell me when we talk about Aftermath, where does the name come from? Was there some inspiration behind that or how did you come up with that name? Well, I have a particular recollection about it, but I'm going to let Cole field that one as well because because my answer is kind of a is kind of a jokey negative one, but I I want to hear what Cole says first. Well, to be honest with you, the campaign itself when we when we played the game was called 2112. And anybody who's listened to the podcast Actually, I'd, I'd rather call it audio fiction because it's more of an audio fiction than than a podcast, yeah. even though our website says aftermathpodcast.net. But it was based off of 2112, which is an album and also a song by collectively one of our favorite, if not our favorite bands, Rush. And that's why it's also set in the year 2112 in honor of, of Rush. But obviously, you can't name something like that directly after you know, 2112, otherwise we would have. And so we batted around some ideas. I know that we threw out a couple names and I think we actually struggled to land on something. And I think we just needed a title because we wanted to get moving on the more important stuff, which was actually the material itself. So I just remember Warren calling it, I think he called it originally the aftermath and then we just shortened it to aftermath. That's, that's my recollection of it. Yeah. that, that rings pretty true with me, and I, I appreciate you honestly answering the question about the Rush influence, Cole, because if we were going to pin down all of the influences of this show, Rush's music, the ideas and themes of Rush's many albums is, is totally reflected in a lot of the episodes themselves. There's even episodes named after Rush songs. But yeah, we played the game under name 2112 and then we decided not to call the show or the, the audio fiction version 2112 i think we had even written several scripts with no, no actual name like maybe the first three scripts were written with no actual name for the show and it was almost like a band trying to come up with a great band name 
And everybody was throwing out things from the plausible to the totally absurd. And um, I think for some reason, like, I wanted the show to have a, a name that started with A, so it would be easy to find in the pantheon of podcasts and, and all that kind of stuff. And then we hit on Aftermath, and we all kind of begrudgingly accepted it. But I don't know that, you know, it is what it is, but I don't know that any of us are 100% in love with that name. But at, at one point, you know, as they say, I, I came to accept it more when I realized that the story is not necessarily about the aftermath of whatever happened that led to General Castro being in the Phoenix Project. It's actually about the aftermath of what happens in this story. So we, in my opinion, we haven't really got to the aftermath yet. So that's kind of like out there on the horizons. So at some point, I will stop begrudgingly accepting the name and I will, I will wear it as a badge of honor. Now, that's a very little interesting nugget right there. So aftermath or the aftermath or the event that is going to become aftermath is actually is, is, is in, occurring in the story now. The inspiration for the name wasn't the apocalypse that occurred and then now we're we're in the aftermath. It's the aftermath of the events that are occurring right now. That's right. That's that's cool. I don't know. I don't know if Cole agrees with that, but yeah, I think the seeds are being planted for that to come to life very shortly. Oh man, you guys, uh, you guys are just baiting me here. I love this. <laughs> okay, so so many questions. When you're writing a typical episode. So, so I'm assuming the episodes haven't all been written. You're kind of writing, producing, creating episodes in real time, and you don't have three years worth of story already written out. Is that correct? So, like Cole said before, it started with a role-playing game, and that's really the genesis of the idea, the characters, and the themes. There's a long tradition, especially with television shows, and I think we're seeing a lot more with the cable television series and things like that, where the showrunners and the producers and folks say, this is adapted from a certain product or, or series of novels or from an idea, and they have all of the idea entrenched in their head, or they know exactly where it's going, or... I remember the the case was with Babylon 5, the writer and producer, like he scripted the majority of the episodes. And I think I think maybe the same was true of some of the episodes of Lost that the showrunners like had a had a chart where they knew exactly where the show was going or or where the, the, the various arcs were supposed to end up. That is not really something that that I adhere to or that I believe in. I think a big part of craft is Obviously, the, the show is written to entertain people, but I think it's also written for us to find, I mentioned the, the ball of yarn, it's for us to find the right threads to pull and when to pull them. And those are the things that really excite us where, you know, something happens and the obvious thing is for the character to do one thing, but something else happens which compels the characters to do something else or you have a, a very specific idea. In this case, I might have a very specific idea of, of what to do. And then I realize that the story needs more conflict and tension and to bring out more of the personality 
and the, the characters as Cole is so good at rendering them, I have to do something other than, than what I originally planned. And so to get back to, is it all plotted out? The answer is no. There's probably like somewhere between four and 10 major events. I think that we all want to see that is that, that Red, Willem, Cole, and I all want to see. And then there's a lot of character elements that we want to bring out. But so much of what has already happened is completely from my imagination to the script, to Cole's production. And along the way, we fine-tuned and developed some plot threads and ideas. I think especially with the characters of, of Devenu, Ganaya, and Chang. Because those three characters, we did not know a lot about when we first started. And over time, we found out a lot more about them. In addition, we found out through the writing of the podcast, I think the things that our three main characters kind of obsess about, in the case of John Bath, he obsesses about what happened to his father. In the case of Cuddy, he's so determined to help people and go to the surface. And in the case of Castro, he is completely disgusted by the way the Phoenix Project operates, that he wants to go and help the people on the surface as well. He's prone to lead this mission. And and these obsessions that they have, I, I don't know if obsession is the right word, but the force of will that is pushing them in those directions is so important in this story that we've tread those character elements and retread them over and over to remind the listeners and followers of who these characters are and why they're going in a particular direction. All right. And speaking of the characters, Cole, you are the voice of all the characters. I'm curious, is this something that is brand new for you, this kind of audio fiction style? Have you always been a storyteller? Are you reading children's books out loud to children every night playing all characters how experienced were you at this before you launched this project uh from an audio fiction perspective very very little experience i did a podcast one time where i was a co-host it was a fantasy football advice podcast but that's just talking about you know fantasy football and stuff as a kid when i went to church i would read passages from the bible to the congregation and i've taught public speaking before but I've never done any sort of narration or storytelling or anything like this. This was a completely new endeavor. We actually originally thought about this being an actual audio drama where we'd have multiple people playing different parts. So it'd be kind of like a War of the Worlds kind of thing where you'd have actors, but it's an audio drama. We did one table read for about, I think, 15 minutes and realized that it just just wasn't going to work. We didn't have the talent. We didn't have the time. You know, we're all talented people, but acting, that's a tough thing to do. So Warren and I kind of put our heads together and said, you know, why don't we just make this like almost like a book? And one of the challenges I tasked myself with and Warren did as well was, well, let's, let's narrate it. Let's produce it. Let's, let's figure out how to, how to provide different kind of voices to the characters. And so it's really been a, a massive learning experience for me. I haven't really had much experience in the past doing something like this. Yeah, it's fascinating to me, really, as I listen, because each of the characters has an individual voice, and it's very distinct from the others. And yet you are the voice of all of these characters. But I can sit and listen to the episode 
and I see each one of these characters speaking. And it's incredible how we just bounce from one person to the next or conversations between two people can be narrated. And I can see both of them and I can, I can see the conversation. It's completely natural to hear one person speak and then another person speak. And yet it is Cole Hoopengarner speaking throughout the entire thing. It's, it's quite incredible. I really appreciate that because I, <laughs> I can't hear it, but maybe that's because I can't hear my own, you know, when you hear your own voice, it's always, you know, a little bit different, but I really appreciate that, that feedback. That's uh, that, that means a lot to me. Thank you. I, I think one of the, the talents that Cole has really brought out here is that, you know, he mentions early on, we had this idea that, that it was going to be more of a dramatic reading and we had to, to pivot both from the way it was written more like a performed script to something that was akin to a novel. And in my opinion, the first few episodes are a little bit, I mean, just the shape of them is a little weird because if you were to go back and read it, you would see that it was written like a script and then like, you know, the tags, the way people talk and what's happening in the scene, that it's kind of clunkily written around it. But at some point, Cole really hit his stride, I think, not in just capturing the voice of the male lead characters, but I think he really captured the voice of the female lead characters and all of the supporting characters in such a way that it made me very confident about writing more about Devenu, more about Chang, more about Ganaya. And so the more I did that and the more he read those characters right up to you know, things like the way Harumi Gale and Gabriel Princip talk and you hear from Bath's mother, you see little nuggets of things that happened in the character's past. It made me more confident, not just in how Cole was going to pull it off, but that it was like I was being given permission to write more about these other characters because they make up such an important part of the tapestry of this whole story. And I'll probably just leave that there because if I, if I go too far, I'll, I'll start giving away spoilers and everyone that knows me knows I'm the worst at letting the cat out of the bag. Well, there you have it, folks. We hope you enjoyed part one of this interview series and we look forward to bringing you more. Stay tuned next week for more announcements about Fire Pit Creative Group and Aftermath's future and how you can help ensure we continue on with our journey.